Welcome to Narratives of Asia. A podcast where students of all backgrounds are invited to talk about all things Asia. This podcast is by Asiatic Affairs Society from University College London, or UCL, which looks to create open and constructive conversations on geopolitics, business, technology, environment, culture, history, and more happening in Asia. Following on from our previous discussion, we talked about our anecdotal experiences with fast fashion, factors that drive the culture of endless consumption, as well as the environmental and social costs of the fast fashion industry. If you are interested in those areas, make sure to also check out the first part of this episode. I think it's even more devastating when you think that like working conditions are extremely poor but in garment workers cannot help but continue to work in these conditions because they have to find a means of survival somehow and the only way in front of them is to work at government factories right and like i think to this point we have only just really just scratched the surface of um exactly how unsustainable and exploitative this industry is and um and these points that we have been raising are long-standing issues that the industry has been facing for years and i just can't help but wonder like has anything been done to mitigate or change the state of affairs? Like in recent years, we see brands like pledging and making, making promises of adopting sustainable practices. But exactly how serious are fast fashion brands about environmental and social sustainability? Yeah, I, I do think it can be quite disheartening to kind of think about how much needs to be done to basically change this industry for the better. But yeah, I think definitely one thing to look out for in terms of how can we improve this industry is to look out for so-called fake efforts in improving this industry. So to definitely look out for things like greenwashing or woke washing is kind of a new term nowadays where um, because fashion is a very media oriented industry in terms of you know a lot of their marketing and promotion comes from social media comes from very visual things influences basically whatever you see online and with this it's also very easy to kind of paint themselves in whatever light they want based just on visuals and not statistics or actual information so i think greenwashing is basically a company kind of painting themselves to be an environmentally friendly or sustainable brand when they're actually not. I think a few key things to look out for can be kind of the overuse of buzzwords like sustainable, eco-friendly, handmade, and usually they stick to kind of very neutral tones. So even for like H&M's sustainable collection, sustainable in air quotes, (laughs) it's very, it looks kind of like a cheapened version of basically a really well-made linen piece from an ethical brand but then when you look at the rest of their store like you can literally walk in and one corner will be all beige and white and like light pinks and the rest of the store will be what they're usually selling so in my opinion companies like H&M are a they're a huge like kind of multinational corporation so if they can afford the scales of economy to produce quote-unquote sustainably why not do it for their whole um, store, their whole brand. And I think also one of the kind of misconceptions when it comes to ethical and sustainable fashion consumption is that it's always a very 
particular bohemian style that I mentioned earlier, like linens or like whites and beiges, but that's not necessarily the case. A very sustainable looking blouse, like a beige linen blouse can also be made unsustainably. So I think like as a consumer, if you're kind of passionate into slowly using yourself into more ethical and sustainable consumption, one thing to look out for is really what how much the brand like dares to disclose on their website, whether it's if it's just a slogan and a bunch of pictures of plants and like a beige color scheme, it's probably not sustainable. And I think the part that the part that angers me the most is that these unethical companies usually charge more for their quote unquote sustainable collections because I mean I personally believe that like human beings are innately good and when they see kind of these marketing buzzwords they're like oh you know i if i can afford it i want to splurge a little more to kind of support a good cause which i just think is very exploitative of these huge companies to kind of buy into people's like good if that makes sense yeah so what to look out for definitely if you want to check if a company is sustainable go to their website make sure they have an extensive about us section if it's just a slogan and color scheme like i said it's probably not real and if you're considering splurging on a more expensive greenwashed item my advice is don't <laughs> like going back to what he said about this h&m um, sustainable fashion right like i was just looking at that as well and i was at their website and like i quote from them h&m is committed to a more sustainable fashion future through a sustainable collection with pieces made from recycled materials or materials that um, have less impact on the environment. And like from this, just just a sentence alone, they have misrepresented what sustainability is, isn't it? Because they are actually encouraging consumers to buy even more when that's not what sustainability is about. It's about um, cutting down your consumption and making use of what you already have. And sustainability is also about paying your lowest ranked employees the wages, living wages that they deserve. This industry will just never be sustainable if if they're never seen as as people with basic rights, um, rather than just like expendable machines that can be freely exploited. I think also to get back to, especially in Asia, where a lot of these, uh, a lot of these multinational corporations they use sweatshops that are in Asia because of how low wages that they can pay these workers and also how they can take advantage of um, the different governments in Asia and how they are unwilling to address the abuse of the workers' rights in their countries as well and also about the workers having a lack of awareness of their own rights in these places too which further exacerbates the situation. And I think that makes it even harder for us as consumers to identify exactly which retailers are not um, are not being truthful about their own sustainability because there's just so many layers to uncover, a lot of red tape and bureaucracy that, that are just not known to a lot of consumers. I think one thing that really um, startled me about the fast fashion industry is about our denim and our like denim jeans about how this fabric actually gets that worn look is through this method called sandblasting. And sandblasting actually exposes workers to silica dust particles, which severely damage their respiratory passages, which causes silicosis, a really serious disease that would eventually lead to death if it's left untreated. And this continues to be practiced in Asia and in, in China specifically, despite the serious health hazards that it poses, even though it was banned in 1966. So a lot of these corporations are able to avoid um, having to face accountability for these kind of diseases and occupational hazards 
by just exploiting legal loopholes, especially in Asian governments, where a lot of these cases go unchecked and a lot of these official states don't have workers' unions that fight for workers' rights. And so therefore, a lot of these corporations don't actually have to be accountable to us as consumers and be accountable to the workers as well. So I think it's really hard to be able to notice which companies are are actually for environmental sustainability or are merely greenwashing. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like we can we can really find our answer for whether fast fashion brands are truly committed to ethical practices in general when we when we look at how they responded to the economic fall of the pandemic, like when they faced this huge dip in sales, right? Like um, you know, many government factory workers were laid off without going through the proper layoff procedure. And for government factories that converted to producing the protective, sorry, the personal protective equipment, the low-level employees are in this huge irony of life where they are not provided with the PPE while they are working in the factory and then they don't observe social distancing measures as well. So like, and also like fast fashion brands, they were, they were cancelling orders, like even those that were really made. And like, like they just don't think about how that would cascade down to the lowest level employees because when they don't pay their suppliers the money, the factory owners, they can't pay the government workers. The government workers, they don't, they usually do not have um, the economic ability or capacity to tight through this loss of income when the companies themselves can, but they are, re- they are just doing it just so that they can save their own economic losses, which is... It's not good. <laughs> mm-hmm. I think as long as fast fashion brands operate on this capitalistic business model that drives to seek maximum profits, then it will just never be sustainable because like, if sustainability is antithetical to your business model that, to drive profits. And in this case, an interesting question is, does the responsibility for um, adopting sustainable practices fall on just the brands themselves or do we as individual consumers um, have a part to play too? What do you guys think? Um, I think it's definitely a good mix because after all the consumers is what kind of drives the demand for these products. But I think like with a lot of social movements uh, for the sustainable fashion movement, we kind of have to consider a form of intersectionality in this because you know one of the obvious factors in consumption is wealth or socioeconomic status and i think it can be quite jarring for someone of a lower income level to think about completely switching up their consumption habits into buying you know more expensive but more well-made pieces yeah so i think definitely for quite some time a lot of the pressure has fallen on the consumer but I think we kind of need to keep a balance. I think we need to remember that we do vote with our dollar. You know, every purchase made is, is statistic to these companies that kind of use it as, oh, you know, people are still buying. So let's just continue with this exploitative um, business model. But at the same time, if you can't vote with your dollar, which means you can't, you know, afford to not support these brands and better brands instead, um, I think social pressure is definitely a good factor. So in terms of holding brands accountable when it comes to when they're basically exposed for exploitative measures. I think there's a movement called Pay Up on Instagram where this account has been kind of releasing information and statistical breakdowns of companies that haven't been paying their government workers with regards to the pandemic. So these 
So what trendy fast fashion brands do have social media analysts working for them. So comments do help. I know it can seem a little cringy and like you're not really doing anything. But like I said before, fashion is a very media oriented industry. So definitely um, social pressure helps. Yeah, I definitely think that in terms of purchasing items, there is a shared responsibility between these large corporations and the regular consumer to understand more about the clothes that, from the corporation's perspective, it will be the clothes that they are selling and producing. And from the consumer's perspective, it will be the clothes that they actually actively purchase. And part of the responsibility do go to consumers to find out where these clothes come from and exactly what they are paying for. Because a lot of the time we pay for something but we don't know who's the person making it and what goes behind making these clothes as well. I think if we were to realise that a lot of these clothes are from sweatshops, there would be a large proportion of people who wouldn't be willing to purchase these clothes anymore. But because of that lack of awareness and the lack of education as to what fast fashion is, what sweatshops are, how exactly sweatshops produce their clothes, therefore a lot of consumers are unaware of these consequences. So definitely a lot of education has to be involved in terms of allowing that kind of individual responsibility to come about from consumers also. Mm-hmm. And like, I think with all these greenwashing marketing tactics, have you guys came across any like misconceptions of people who try to consume ethically but actually are not consuming it ethically? Yeah, I, I get that. I think one of the biggest misconceptions in terms of sustainable and ethical consumption is definitely that oh, it always has to be expensive. But honestly, ever since I completely switched my buying habits, I spent a lot less. I think I've only spent about $40 last year in clothes because... Yeah, this part might be a bit lengthy because I do have a lot to say about this. Like, I'm very big on kind of encouraging, uh, giving people tips on how to slowly transition. Um, I think one of the biggest misconceptions is that kind of, yeah, like I said, it has to be expensive because people think about, oh, you know, I usually buy maybe five different items from H&M in one go. Now I have to buy five different items from a sustainable brand. So the cost is obviously going to be a lot more, you know. Maybe let's say when you go shopping, you pick up like three items from H&M and two items from Forever 21. So people kind of imagine that lifestyle, except with more expensive sustainable brands. But I think people forget that sustainable consumption is less consumption. I think this whole throwaway culture of how we don't really kind of value our clothes definitely needs to be re-evaluated. Like, I find it really bizarre that a dress from maybe like in Asia, I think Taobao and Shopee is very you know prominent. So like maybe a $10 dress from Shopee costs, or even a $7 top costs the same as like a drink from Starbucks or maybe even Boost. So how can an item that's supposed to last you for years and years cost the same as a perishable, like a drink? I think this definitely kind of ties in with throwaway and throwaway culture, sorry, and the need for not repeating outfits like if you go into carousel which is a singapore reselling platform a lot of the times in descriptions you can see people um saying things like oh worn ones for a photo shoot or worn ones and something something which i just feel needs i don't really want to preach on anybody but i just feel this really needs to be evaluated because like i said clothes are not made to be a a disposable item yeah, I think one of the, my biggest tips is to just consume less in general and look at your clothes in a new light. They're meant to be something that fits you really well, that makes you feel confident, makes you look 
good, look pretty, and it's meant to be kept this way for as long as possible, as opposed to just a one-off use kind of thing. Yeah, and my second advice is to kind of buy secondhand. And I know this has a lot of limitations in terms of sizing available and also the style of items available. But I think thrifting is definitely a way for you to kind of express yourself in a more unique and creative way as opposed to, like I said before, buying items that are under the just-in category on a fashion website. And especially if you're someone who really likes fashion, I think a kind of bonus point would be the items you buy more often than not nobody else will kind of own the same thing or less people will own the same thing so you know if you consider yourself like um, really interested in fashion i think that could definitely be a bonus point and i do think thrifting is like a really fun activity just to do with friends as well so that's also another bonus point there's kind of a social aspect to it and thrifting isn't just limited to physical stores you can thrift online as well, like I said, Carousel, other reselling platforms that you prefer. I've gotten some of my favorite pairs of denim from Carousel and like a shirt as well. So yeah, definitely advise that. And my third advice is to always kind of, okay, I know this is going to take a while to break down, but you know how like the current jeans that are in style now is more like baggy and white leg and just three years ago, it was skinny like skinny jeans and everyone would like just never dream of wearing these huge baggy jeans um, one thing about the fashion industry is that it's very its trends are very recycled so i know at one point this there was this kind of trend of decluttering and minimalism with marie kondo that kind of i feel like a lot of people falsely link with sustainability because they basically get rid of items and they're like oh you know like, ah, I'm so clutter-free now, but then they end up buying back what they have. So I'm a really big reseller on like all these reselling platforms, but I started to kind of keep um, very stable items. So like, I still have my skinny jeans kind of tucked away now, and now I'm, you know, just wearing whatever's in trend. And same goes for almost any item. So for example, if you, you find yourself liking specific pieces when things are in trend, but then you remember yourself really loving them at, during this phase of time. And then when something else comes into trend, you're like, oh, I don't really want to wear that anymore. I mean, I definitely do discourage against that. Like wear whatever you want, you know, it makes you more stylish. But I get the whole wanting to follow trends. So I think people could kind of try and learn to hold on to items that they really remember genuinely loving. Because chances are, I guarantee you, in three years, it's going to come back. You're going to save yourself a lot of money. You're going to save yourself a lot of, you know, time, like going on the hunt for these items again when they do come back. Yeah, if you look at kind of pictures from 2005, 2010, 2015, and now 2020, you do realize that fashion literally just gets recycled every couple of years. So hold on to your items. <laughs> I think from, from my perspective, I also had this initial misconception about ethical consumption in terms of how it's pricier than our regular options. And I, I, I would see all these ones that use like bamboo fiber to make their clothes because it uses less water or something like that. And I would really want to buy into that idea and and look for sustainable options. But like when you mentioned about how sustainability in fashion is also about less consumption, I think it does make a lot of sense about how we should not only be looking at what we buy, but also how much we buy as well and what we need versus what we actually want. And that's not to say that people should necessarily be like, oh, I should only buy what I need and never what I want. It's not really about that, but it's about taking a balance and looking at how 
and and making basically making a balance between how much you buy and what you currently have in your wardrobe as well and seeing how much of what you have in your wardrobe are things that you can use again in different ways rather than buying an entirely new outfit just because you want to match it with something else in your wardrobe and i also think a very big uh, question in terms of sustainability would be about size inclusivity and how that ties in with sustainable fashion as well. Because a lot of these sustainable fashion uh, retailers, um, they normally cater for a smaller, like smaller range of sizes, whereas those people who are more plus-sized are unable to get sustainable clothes if they want to buy into that. So I was wondering whether, Charmaine, you had any opinions about this? Yeah, I definitely think size inclusivity is just something that the whole fashion industry still has like a lot of steps to take into improving this um, aspect. Even sometimes I feel like some brands kind of use plus size as more of a token than actually integrating it into their brand. So yeah, I sorry, I forgot to mention, but one of another pra- sustainable practice you can adopt is clothing swaps with friends. I've started doing that, but I also know that once again, size is another kind of touchy topic with that. You don't really want to make someone feel, you know, like, bad for not being able to like fit into certain pieces stuff like that so yeah I definitely think when kind of talking about sustainable fashion and when you're kind of um, advocating for it to other people you have to be mindful that some people in terms of sizing may just not have the option to do so even with thrifting because once again like what ends up in thrift stores comes from companies that produce them in the first place whether it's um, from an ethical brand or a fast fashion brand that ends up in a thrift store and the fact that the industry is already producing a very limited range of sizes this will also translate to thrift stores so once again if plus size people don't even have that many retail stores to shop from in the first place they're gonna have even less options in their stores yeah so with regards to sustainability another big trend is upcycling and kind of their flipping so another point to take note and once again i'm not like preaching to anyone to dictate what you buy but especially if you're on the smaller side and you're kind of getting into this whole upcycling thing, try, try not to buy sizes that are like many sizes too big for you, you know? Like don't buy one plus size item to make two outfits for yourself because once again, this really does take away from plus size people who are like as big of a fashion enthusiast as you are and also want to get into more sustainable fashion. This doesn't really apply to Singapore, but I think other Asian countries with a colder climate as well, when you thrift in colder countries, try not to do thrift hauls of winter clothing because I think thrifting has become gentrified in a sort of way. And when prices jack up, it takes away from the their demographic that usually shops at thrift stores, which is usually lower income people that can't even afford to do fast fashion hauls. So they can't afford to buy a single piece from a sustainable brand. And they also can't actually afford to feed into the whole overconsumption culture that maybe like middle income class people have so yeah i think an important point to note as well is when transitioning into um, ethical sustainable fashion and thrifting secondhand shopping try not to do hauls because you know the whole concept of hauls is antithetical to um, sustainable consumption so yeah that's something else to note as well so at the end of the day i think the real focus shouldn't be on whether the responsibility for sustainable practices um, fall on either the brand or the consumers. 
rather I think issues in the industry fall on both parties because everyone is a stakeholder of the industry. Um, in a way, I think last question, one way that the industry can move towards is towards this circular fashion economy because currently um, a lot of economies, not just the fast fashion one, but also maybe in electronics, um, it is operated on a linear model that, that is unidirectional, starting from extraction from the environment and then straight to um, being discarded as waste. But then um, in the circular model, it emphasizes reusing, recycling, upcycling. It's, it's just much more environmentally sustainable by making sure that um, once raw materials are extracted from the environment, it is kept in use for as long as possible. Yeah, I think the whole I think that's exactly what this movement is aiming towards basically at the end of the day. I think this also kind of ties in with the whole that the responsibility for our consumers or corporations. I think ideally the end goal is to kind of reach a circular fashion economy like you said where raw materials are extracted in a more sustainable and also ethical way where workers are being paid and the environment isn't being damaged. And kind of like consumers also take on this responsibility of like making their purchases last as long as possible. And maybe things like recycling or return systems are put into place with these companies where consumers can return their well-worn out pieces to kind of be either broken down or recycled and spun into new fabrics. And essentially it's just about what you kind of extract for the environment. It eventually returns back to like the biosphere in a in the best way possible. We'd like to thank Charmaine so much for coming onto our podcast episode and sharing with us more about alternatives to fast fashion and how we can be responsible about our own practices in terms of fashion. I know for sure for me, I've definitely learned a lot from here and I will definitely want to be more focused on looking towards more sustainable uh, ways of increasing my passion for fashion as well and still uh, being able to express myself through clothes. So that's it for our episode for today and thank you everyone for listening. Thank you all listeners for tuning in to this episode of Narratives of Asia. Dear listener, if you found this episode to be educational and learned something from this, do recommend this podcast to your friends and family by word of mouth or on social media. Tag us at UCL Asiatic Affairs on Instagram or Facebook. We would love to hear all of your thoughts on this episode. If you are interested in joining us on raising conversation about a certain topic related to Asia, don't be shy. Drop a message on our social media or email us at uclasiaticaffairs at gmail.com. I swear we're a cool bunch. Again, thank you so much for staying with us and stay tuned for another episode. We are Asiatic Affairs and this is Narratives of Asia.